This morning's reading is taken from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 9, beginning at verse 31. 13, sorry. The Pharisees investigate the healing. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I can see. But some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, but he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah should be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a blind man, born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so I may go and believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, 
If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us. And we long to hear you speak to us individually and as a church. And we pray that we would be attentive to the nudges, the touches of your spirit in our lives as you speak to us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be thinking today about how we can be generous with our words. I want to start with some quotes, anonymous quotes about the use of words. So this is what one person said, your words have power, use them wisely. Someone else said this, words are powerful, they have the ability to create a moment and the strength to destroy it. Never underestimate the power of words to heal and reconcile relationships. Words have the power to make things happen. And we know this, we know how powerful words can be. But we don't often stop to think about the impact that we could be making by the use of words. So that's what we're going to be thinking a little bit about today. And you might think it's a slightly unusual passage to pull out something about words. We're picking up a story halfway through. Often, if we were looking at this particular episode, we would look at the healing. The man who is healed, he was blind and Jesus came, put mud on his eyes and then he was able to see. But we're actually picking it up in the aftermath. Because there's actually a lot more spoken about what happened following this healing than there was about the healing itself. So Jesus has healed him. He can now see. And others around are able to see the difference in him. And they start asking questions. So the Pharisees are asking quite a lot of questions. They are already getting upset about Jesus and what he is doing. So they see yet another time in which he's done something. And they interrogate the man, what's happened to you? And the man responds and just speaks the truth of, of what he knows, of what, he's, what has happened to him, and just answers the questions that are given to him. It's not enough for the Pharisees, so they call in the parents. Is this your son? Was he truly blind and now he can see? And they seem hesitant to actually get involved at all. They're fearful. And there's a very interesting phrase that comes into the passage where it says that the Pharisees had decided that if anyone spoke up in favour of this man, Jesus, they would be excluded from the synagogue. Now, this was something that was more than just not being allowed to come and worship. The synagogue was at the heart of social life. So to be excluded from the synagogue would mean that really you've lost your place in society. It's hardly worth living in that place if you can't interact with what is going on at the heart of that community. So the threat for them was if they acknowledge in any way that Jesus had miraculously healed their son, they knew what would happen. So fear stopped them speaking. And I think that's something we can all resonate with. Often fear stops us speaking. So they say, yes, he's our son, but he's of age. You've got to speak to him. He can speak for himself. So he still asks questions. How did this happen? Who was this man? What is going on? And eventually he says, theologically, I don't know what's happening. You say this man was a sinner. That's not for me to say. That's a sort of a theological concept. All I know is this. 
I once was blind, but now I see. Probably about the most powerful phrase that we can find. This is what I know. And it's repeated in Amazing Grace. The words of John Newton. I once was blind, but now I see. He tells his story. He's not going to get into the debate, the political debate, the theological debate. He answers the questions and says it as it is to him. This is all I know. This is what's happened. I once was blind, but now I see. So throughout this episode, there's a lot of use of language, a use of words. And we're going to just have a little think about how we use words and how we can use them generously. It seems a slightly strange concept. But if we start with that premise that words are powerful, we have a responsibility to use them well. And we can be generous in the way we speak. And we can bring light into different situations. So I want us to think about three ways in which we might use words. Speaking up, speaking out, and speaking for. Speaking up, speaking out, and speaking for. Let's start with speaking up. Actually using words and using them well. Sometimes we might suffer from a sense in which we haven't got a voice. There's a lot of films have been made about giving people voice, you know, that film Little Voice. People who are almost feel they haven't got the permission to speak. And I think sometimes we can hesitate to speak, even in the most simple of situations. Dare I go up to that person who's looking a little bit lonely in the playground and introduce myself? We don't often take the responsibility, take the permission and use words. And use words to bring encouragement, to bring light, to bring hope. Because that's the power that our words can have. It's much easier to use them in a negative way. Our son, our oldest son, Johnny, worked for quite a long time at the Yvonne Arno Theatre as an usher. He certainly learned about how people use words. Do you know people in the Guildford area can be really rude to ushers at the theatre? One of the worst ones he had was, somebody came up to him, he just laughed at this one. He'd sold them an ice cream and they came back two minutes later saying, this ice cream's too cold. What do you do? But it's so easy when we are feeling frustrated, when we're feeling vulnerable, when everything is not quite right, to use our words negatively, to dump a problem onto somebody else. Actually, if that person had come and said, my ice cream's a bit too cold, and actually what would really help is if you could stick it in the microwave for 10 seconds, at least he could respond to saying we haven't got a microwave, but there would have been some sort of point in the conversation, but just this, it's too cold, expecting Johnny to do something about it. That's often what we do. We dump a problem on somebody because it's our frustration, our anger. Oh, here you are. You solve it. I'm upset. I'm cross, and I'm going to pass it on to you. And we can pass on frustration, vulnerability, anger, despair, so easily. How much better to actually use our words to build up, to encourage, to affirm? That is what Jesus does. He uses his words well. He's not a soft touch. He's prepared to speak out. 
and to speak the truth. So this is not about wishy-washiness. But actually we have the power to affirm and to encourage. And actually encouraging somebody with words can be such a vulnerable thing for us to do. We don't believe we've got the right to do it. We don't actually think it would make any difference to them. We don't believe they need encouragement. But time and time again we hear stories of people where just a simple word to them in a season where they needed that had the most incredible effect. So speaking up and looking out for opportunities to speak into people's lives with positive hope, with light, with a smile. So next time we're at the supermarket and we're at the checkout, how might we actually bring some light into that person's life that day? Without going into, I'm so pleased you're here, thank you so much for all you're doing, because that's not meaningful. It doesn't have to be very much. It's the tiny things that matter and noticing them, saying thank you. Such a powerful word, thank you. But actually saying thank you to somebody and smiling can make their day. It's not difficult. We can use our words well and with generosity. Speaking up. Speaking out. And I mean this in in a, a kind of more formal way of actually speaking out against injustices. I, um, Paul and I get a vegetable box. Other vegetable boxes are available. But we happen to get one from Riverford. And um, Guy Watson is the owner of Riverford. It's a large um, organisation that um, farms organically. And is, he, Guy Watson is very much into um, advocating sustainability uh, and all sorts of things like that. And he won an award. And you get a little newsletter each week. And this was this week's newsletter. And this week he was presented with an award for responsible capitalism. And in receiving the award, he had three minutes to give a speech. So he had a choice as to what he was going to say. He could have had three minutes of thank yous to people. He said, I used my three minutes in front of 200 ambassadors to give an angry speech about the failures of capitalism. Now, you may or may not agree with Guy Watson, but he was choosing his moment to speak out about something that he believed was important and went on. I won't say what he went on to to criticise in capitalism. But at the end, various people came up and spoke to him and said, we're so glad that you're speaking out for this. Because I can see the difference that climate change is making. I've seen it in reality on the glacier near where I ski. And and this woman said to Guy Watson, we need more people like you speaking out against this. He then felt later, um, I should have replied, which he didn't. But in thinking about it afterwards, he said, I should have replied, no, we need more people like you with options to change their ways and the power to set a better example. He could, I mean, he was choosing to speak out, but he could have chosen to actually help somebody else take on that role of speaking out. Now, that's one case of, and we're not all going to have the opportunity of receiving an award and using three minutes to speak against our particular pet topic. But we do have a voice to speak out when we see injustice. It may not be a spoken voice. We have a, a choice every time we vote to think about what we're voting for. And the choice we are making in that. We have a choice to to put words into writing. To write letters to MPs when there's important votes going through Parliament. 
and we want our voice to be there. And this comes up and I think, what difference did mine make? But actually, if everyone felt that, we wouldn't have the voice that is so precious to us. We might need to speak out sometimes in a work context. If we see something unfair happening, we might need to speak out at a meeting in our family. But speaking out against injustice, against wrong, we have a power to make a difference and to change. It's really vulnerable. That's a scary thing to do. But that's a way in which we can use our words generously. So we can speak up, we can speak out, and we can speak for. And I want us to think about how we speak for Jesus. Because ultimately this is a passage where a man who didn't know who Jesus was speaks up for him and isn't embarrassed to do so. And it's even more remarkable because all the way through until the very end, he doesn't know who Jesus is. And he's a witness to Jesus and willing to speak for him when he hasn't even got that living relationship with him. And we who live with Jesus day by day, how often do we speak up for Jesus? There was some research done um, in the last couple of years. Um, I've lost my bit of paper. Oh, here it is. Um, by a, a Christian company. And they were looking at how people learn about Jesus. So in today's society in the UK, how have people heard about Jesus? And they ranked the different ways in which people who now are going to church or have some understanding of Jesus of how they'd heard about him. So the, most, the top influence in coming to faith is this, growing up in a Christian family. The second is having conversations with a Christian. The list then goes down to a, you know, third, attending a service, four, reading the Bible, five, having an experience of the love of Jesus, six, having a spiritual experience, and it went down. Down about nine or ten was attending something like an Alpha course. Number one is growing up in a Christian family. So let's, let's never underestimate the power of actually having Christian families and let's pray for them. But number two is having a conversation with a Christian. That's incredible, isn't it? Because that is so easy. They did some more research and 67% of the people they interviewed know a practicing Christian. So 67% of our society know a practicing Christian and one of the most effective ways of helping someone come to faith is by a practicing Christian having a conversation with somebody. We should have evangelized the whole of our country quite easily. And yet, having that conversation feels so difficult at times, doesn't it? What do we say? What do we do? And we think we've got to be theologically educated. We've got to be able to know our Bible inside out. And what does the man do here? The man who doesn't know anything about Jesus. He tells a story. All I know is, once I was blind, but now I see, and this man did it. And you can't argue with that. You cannot argue with somebody's experience. You cannot argue with somebody's story. You might not choose to take it on for yourself, but you can't say you're wrong, because he's not wrong. This is what he experienced. And this passage shows us a really beautiful way in which we can use our words naturally and easily in sharing the good news of Jesus. Because stories are powerful. 
If you think about some of the, the issues that might come through storylines, that suddenly there's much more notice made of them, storylines on television, on the radio. A couple of years ago on The Archers, I listened to The Archers, there was an amazing storyline with Helen and Rob, and it was about domestic abuse and coercive control. Coercive control is a, is a new part of the law under domestic abuse and hadn't ever really been spoken about. And this storyline of Helen and Rob got people talking about it and understanding what this new law, a new way of understanding domestic abuse is. And it was painful to listen to it. But my goodness me, a lot of people got talking about it. Because they were characters they knew and they could hear what was happening and the conversations that were happening. And through a simple thing like a radio soap opera, it raised the profile of a really important issue. They told the story, and that story had power. Think how advertisers work, especially at Christmas time. The race to get the John Lewis advert or the Marks and Spencers advert to sell their goods is through a story. All those adverts have power because they tell a story that we feel wrapped up in, and it's always wonderful at Christmas time. It's always I love them. But, you know, they, they play on us because they tell us a story and say, you can feel like this if you come and buy the goods in John Lewis. Stories have power. And this passage tells us that all we need to do is to tell our story, is to know our story and to share it with others. How do we do that? I think we need to practice more Because there's something about having confidence to speak that can be done practicing. Firstly, we've got to know our story. What is the story that we would say, if somebody said, why do you go to church? You know, if it came out that over the weekend you'd been at church on a Sunday and someone said, why do you go to church? What might you say? Could be I've been in church all my life. It's become part of what I always do and you could leave it there. You could take it on a step further and say, but I like going on, you know, I went as a child, but, you know, I had to choose when I became an adult whether I'd carry on. And church has become a really special place for me. And I feel at peace when I'm there. It's not too difficult, but it's choosing to take it a little bit further. It's sharing our story. It could be that we come across somebody who's really struggling And they say, I remember that time last year when you had a a similar situation. How did you cope with that? I said, well, something about my faith and and knowing Jesus gave me a, a peace that I can't really explain. But I just knew that I wasn't on my own. It could be as simple as that. But something about rehearsing our story. Why is Jesus important to me? We've got to know that first and foremost. And if we need to spend some time searching our own selves and realising why Jesus is important to us, that's a really good exercise. But then practising how we might say that. I know it sounds really silly, and we hate role play, but home groups are a great place of sharing stories. I know of of one group recently that um, decided for a period of time that they would spend each week listening to each other's story of how they ended up being in that room at that time, what had been going on in their life to lead them there. And I think it was probably the most powerful home group sessions they had. And the freedom to share a story was good. But it doesn't need to be as deep as that. It could just be 
little by little, taking 10 minutes in our home group of, of saying, how might we respond to this? What might we say to that? And actually articulating it, because once we've spoken it out, it's easier to say it a second or a third or a fourth time. The first time's the hardest. So let's do that amongst friends. So we need to know our story, we need to practice our story, and then we need to be willing to share our story. And I don't suggest we do all this work and then go unexpectedly out into the, the workplace. Right, here we are. It's praying for the opportunities. Because it only works when it's natural. I've seen enough street preachers who may have some power from time to time, but actually I'm not convinced. I think the most powerful way of witnessing is naturally, easily, where we're not preaching, but speaking of truth. And if they want to then ask us more, we can provide them with so much. We don't need all the answers ourselves. Giving somebody a Bible You mean you've never read the stories of Jesus? Well, let me give you one so that you can read it for yourself. And actually, if you'd like to come and talk to me more about it, why don't you? We could meet and have a coffee. Tell me what you think of Mark's gospel. It's quite natural, quite gentle, quite easy. So how are we going to be generous with our words? Speak up and encourage. Speak out against wrong and injustice. And speak for Let's naturally and instinctively speak for Jesus. Amen.